0: What is up, everyone, and welcome back to the Active
1: Atlanta podcast. I'm Doc Jake, and I'm here with my good friend, Nicole Carlson. Uh, she's an assistant professor over at Emory, as well as a midwife. Um, she is just a badass of what she does, guys, and I'm really excited to get her on the podcast. She's got a lot of really good information for y'all, especially as it pertains to prenatal care and how your physical health can actually impact your pregnancy. So welcome to the show, Nicole.
2: Hey, nice to be here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Nicole, I kind of introduced you a little bit, but if you don't mind, give your, give a little bit of a background, because I'm sure I didn't do it any justice, exactly what it is you do and, uh, why, um, and why you do it. Yeah,
2: sure. So, um, I have been a nurse midwife since 2007. Um, I think a lot of folks in the United States um, aren't aware of nurse midwives. Uh, we do about, um, about somewhere between, depends on the state, but around in the state of Georgia, for example, we take care of about 12% of women. We do vaginal births of about 12% of the women who have babies in Georgia. Um, and so what we do is, um, we take care of women during their prenatal care. Um, and then we do the birth and help women postpartum. We also do things like pap smears and, uh, birth control and that kind of thing too. So we kind of do everything that an OBGYN doctor does, except that we don't do uh, people that get super sick when we don't do surgery. Mm. Um, so I became, I started my career um, a long time ago as a um, as a nurse, as a labor and delivery nurse, and um, and figured out pretty quickly that I wanted to do um, more direct care and became a midwife. So um, so that's kind of where my career as a midwife started. I worked in a variety of states, Oregon. Um, I worked in uh, Virginia and here in in Georgia. And then I eventually went back to school, got my PhD because I was interested in kind of doing, asking research questions about the best way to take care of women in labor and also kind of how a woman's physical health impacts her pregnancy. Um, So I got my PhD and started doing research at Emory where I do research looking at specifically obesity and how that impacts pregnancy. Um, and that's kind of where I've been since 2015. I teach in the midwifery program. Um, Emory has the only kind of brick and mortar on the ground midwifery program in the state of Georgia, so we graduate anywhere from 12 to 24 new nurse midwives every year. I work in that program as well. That's awesome,
1: and then so you're super smart, by the way, that's a lot of credentialing and a lot of schooling that you've gone through. So that's awesome. Excited to get you. I'm excited to talk to you and pick your brain a little bit here, but uh, you said you also work at the Atlanta birth center too, correct?
2: Yeah. So, um, so in all my other time, um, (laughs) I do, (laughs) I do clinical work on the side also at the Atlanta birth center. I've worked in um, several practices in the Atlanta area and I was really excited to um, start working with the birth center a couple years ago. The birth center, Atlanta birth center, um, there's only two birth centers in the state of Georgia. There's one in Savannah and then the Atlanta birth center started um, about two and a half, three years ago. Um, It took a long time to get all the permissions in place um, for the certificate of need for the birth center to begin. There were a lot of folks that worked really hard, but uh, once it got going, it's just been so well received in the Atlanta area. I think a lot of folks um, really excited to have this model of care. There's um, quite a few midwives who work there. I'm fortunate enough to be one of the part-time, um, help as needed kind of midwives. Um, and so that's the other thing I do, you know, in my spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So you like to stay busy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I've got so many questions for you. Uh, first and foremost, I guess, uh, can you just explain, uh, I, I know you've kind of gone into a little bit of detail about it. I mean, the, Vast array of things that a midwife can do, but can you, I guess, uh, give a, a, an example or go into a little bit more detail about what the difference is between a midwife and OBGYN in terms of the care that someone could expect between the two?
2: Yeah, so fortunately, um, you know, about 90% of pregnant women are relatively low risk, they're healthy people who ha- are just having a baby. Um, 10% of women are really sick or get really sick when they're pregnant. Um, and so the way that care is typically structured, for example, when you look at a, large, a lot of European countries, this is a way it's structured where midwives take care of that 90% of folks that are healthy. And as that, they are kind of the experts in healthy. They, um, they have the lowest C-section rates. They tend to do a lot more uh, longer visits and do a lot more um, holistic care with women. Um, whereas that 10% of women who have more complicated pregnancies are cared for in those systems by OBGYNs. These are folks gotcha. you who know, are diabetics or hypertension or, or they've got other kind of issues going on. Um, they need a C-section. Um, yeah. Those are folks that get cared for with that higher level of care. Um, unfortunately, in the United States, the way things have been set up over the last um, you know 100 years or so is that it's kind of the opposite is true here where um, same thing, 90% of women are healthy and relatively low risk of pregnancy, however, Um, 90% of our care is managed instead of by midwives, it's managed by OBGYNs. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why when you look at the United States compared to other um, countries, for example, in Europe, like where this other kind of model is in place, you see that our C-section rate is much higher. Oh, it's crazy. It is. Yeah. And so like right now our national C-section rate is above 32%. Um, Just for kind of, you know, contrast, the World Health Organization recommends that, Kind of for the optimum health of a population that the C section rate should be lower than fifteen percent, so we have a C section rate that 's roughly like twice where it should be in terms of um, in terms of optimum health for the population of the united states
1: that 's wild. What do you think are some contributing factors to that
2: well I mean we one of the things that I look at in my research is something called labor dystocia, which is a fancy word just for people who have They go into labor and their labor goes really slowly for reasons Mm -hmm. that, you know, we don't always understand. That is the number one reason why women end up with a C-section is that they have a slow labor. It's not that there's something wrong with the mom. It's not that there's something wrong with the baby. It's just that things are taking longer than they're expected to take and people decide it's time for a C-section. So uh, one of that is the biggest contributor that we have um, to how high our C-section rate is in the United States Another big one is that once people get a C-section in the United States, almost always the recommendation from their OBGYN is that they have another C-section with their next baby. Yeah. Um and so by contrast in, in Europe for example, 67% of the time when women have a C-section the second time they have a baby, they have vaginal birth. In the United States it's more about 8%. So um it's a big difference. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then is there, is there a reason behind the recommendation of having that C-section that second time around, or is that just what we do as a culture here in America?
2: It's kind of just what we do as a culture. I mean, recommendations even from the ACOG, which is the professional organization for OBGYNs is that we recommend people consider a vaginal birth the second time, unless they've got some kind of complication that prevents that. Um, However, it is, you know, it is one of the side effects that we have, and this is just Nicole talking here um, yeah. that my opinion is that when you've got folks that are surgeons managing labor and birth um, and it's sometimes easier to do, um, you know, a C-section, it takes less time. Sure. Um, it pays better. Yeah. Um, you know uh, it is unfortunately, you know, one of those situations where, um, it gets overused. Um, and you know, I'm the first one to say, thank goodness for C-sections. Yeah. Um, when you need one, you need one. Um, but you know, when it's overused, that's when you get into some problems for the, for the whole population really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, as the old saying goes, like just cause you have it doesn't mean you need to use it kind of deal. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Um, well that's also, do you guys do C-sections at the Atlanta birth center then?
2: No, we don't. So the way that we care for women there, which is very different than a lot of places, is that we really throw a lot of effort into taking the best care we can take of low-risk women. So um, it's different in that, you know, if you're someone who's coming into pregnancy with a lot of complications, say you're, you know, you've already, you know, you've got High blood pressure that's not being managed well, or you've got, um, you know, some other kind of diagnoses that you're coming into pregnancy with. Then what we talk to people about is, you know, you would be someone who would be better better managed in a hospital-based practice. Um, but for those low-risk women, which fortunately we like we talked about earlier, accounts for a lot of women. We end up being able to bring them into the practice. We do extra long visits prenatally. So anyone who's been pregnant can tell you that a typical prenatal visit lasts about. Five minutes, where yeah. you go in, they you know check your belly, they listen to the baby, they check your blood pressure, ask a few questions. They're out of the door. <laughs> um, at the birth center, by contrast, our our prenatal visits last typically about thirty minutes, and the first visit lasts a lot longer than that. So we're doing nice. a lot of we're doing a lot of education. We're doing a lot of talking about you know women's concerns, asking about kind of the full spectrum of all the things that are affecting that woman. Um, yeah. So that we can kind of get her on, you know, the right supplements, get her in the right exercise routine, um, you know, help her kind of like plot her weights, you know, and and check on how she's doing, so that she can, by the time you know she's ready to have that baby, she's hopefully just had kind of an optimum health experience, so that that birth um, and that that baby can be in as best health as possible.
1: That's awesome. You're you're kind of speaking. You're like right on my alley there too, in terms of like how we handle our patients Um, you know it's one-on-one for an hour trying to get that personal touch that customized approach to each individual now there's always going to be tendencies and trends with every caseload right but um, I think it's a lost art to be able to um, actually like listen to um, your patient when they're in there and and understand that even though this is your thousandth time doing it that month um, it's their first time potentially or most (laughs) likely you know like they're not the experts on this and it's a very overwhelming process so um, I know I can I can absolutely appreciate that approach um, that you guys take in terms of making sure that you spend enough time with the mom to make sure that um, she's as ready as can be, or at least has the ability and the access to as much knowledge as she can get uh, throughout the process. So I love that you guys do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that the relationship you have with your provider, whether it's for your PT appointment or for your pregnancy is, is super important. And unfortunately gets lost when, you know, your provider's trying to see 30 patients a day.
1: Oh, for sure. So are you guys pretty, are you guys a little bit of a, like, obviously a little bit of a lower volume uh, facility over there at the Atlanta birth center?
2: Yeah, we do anywhere compared around, that, I
1: guess.
2: Yeah, compared to like Northside Hospital, which does yeah. seventeen thousand births That's a year. Wild. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do about um, thirty to forty births a month. It kind of depends on the month.
1: Okay. Cool. Cool. Has uh, have you guys seen any any? Uh, um, I guess it just really wouldn't matter. Never mind. That was about to be a stupid question. Any changes with COVID? <laughs> I guess. Oh that, my that.
2: gosh. Yeah. So many, so many, change. I don't know that anyone hasn't had major changes of COVID. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I hear you. Um, well that's cool. So then you guys talk up, you said you talk a lot about like the prenatal visits and everything. What from from your research or from your experience, what, uh, you said your research was a lot in terms of um, physical fitness and uh, just general care from a, from a physical standpoint, um, throughout your pregnancy or before pregnancy, what are some of the things that you recommend um, women do to be able to make sure that they're in optimal health to have a healthy pregnancy?
2: Absolutely. Well, I think first and foremost, it's to, for the woman to get in the best health that she can get into before she ever gets pregnant. Yeah. And that involves a couple of essential pieces. So first um, there's something that your insurance will pay for called a pre preconception visit, which I think a lot of women don't even know that their insurance would cover. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where you can go in, you can sit down with the provider, They can go through all your health history and really help to kind of specialize, you know, the care on kind of what you need specifically to get yourself ready. But in general, it's things like going ahead and getting started on a prenatal vitamin. You want to do that three to four months before. Um, Things like making sure you've got all your health screenings in place. And then relating to diet and exercise, it's things like making sure, for example, that you're doing 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise per week. That's about 30 minutes a day, five days of the week. I think a lot of people probably don't get that in general, Um, but we know in pregnancy it really matters. Um, Something that's come out of my research, and these are some um, findings I've just had in the last year, is that omega-3 fatty acids, um, having an adequate amount of that in your diet Um, those are things that can really matter in terms of how your labor goes, how fast your labor goes, how complicated does your labor get? Um, And so um, those are things that take a while to change. So you really, women optimally are kind of focused on that. Like I say, at least three to four months before they ever are thinking about getting pregnant. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, um, what is it about the omega? Is it omega-3s you said that that is? Yeah,
2: sure. omega-3s, yeah. Yeah, what are
1: you guys finding with that in terms of how's that helped the pregnancy out?
2: Well, one of the things, and it's interesting, once I did this research in women, and then when I looked into the literature to see, it was such a surprising finding. Like, what else is out there about this? What I found is that um, there's been research that's done in uh, mice that it showed the same thing that I saw in women, which is that when women don't have a healthy diet, so you know, omega-3s are the kinds of things that you're going to get more from a plant-based diet, um, more from healthy fats um, Mm -hmm. than you're going to get um, from more of a high-fat diet. If you think about like a McDonald's diet or a high in processed foods kind of diet, that's where you're going to get um, less omega-3 in the food.
0: Um,
2: And what they found in these mice and what I found in women is that when women um, are kind of eating more of a high-fat diet, more of a kind of processed diet, things that are high in what we call omega-6s, which is kind of the alternative to an omega-3, what happens is that it gets, um, in their uterus, all their body tissues get made up of these, their fatty acids, that's what Mm -hmm. omega-3 is, and all these body tissues end up getting depleted of omega-3, including the tissue of the uterus. Oh, and indeed. that ends up making it so that the uterine cells, which are little muscle cells, that they end up not contracting as well during the labor, which makes for this really long drawn out labor process, which is more likely to end up in a C-section.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was kind of cool. Yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. Um, Okay. And then how does that, so um, high omega-3s uh, in your diet, anything else in particular that uh, women should be, any from like a prenatal standpoint or just from a general nutrition standpoint that would be really beneficial for them over the long haul of their pregnancy?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think taking a really um, close look at how they're doing in terms of their BMI. Um, you know, I think for a lot of women, especially if they're kind of getting a little bit older by the time they get pregnant, mm-hmm. women tend to gain weight through their life Um, kind of life cycle. And so when the BMI is anything um, above 24.9, which is um, kind of the normal range, even in the overweight range, and certainly in the obese range, what we know is that um, it, it makes for difficulties not only in the pregnancy, but also in the labor. So women with obesity or who are overweight, when they get to the labor they have a greater chance that their labor is going to go super slow that they're going to end up with a c section they have a greater they have a greater risk of their baby now this is freaky they have a greater chance that the baby they grow inside of them is going to grow up to be obese because it grew up in the environment of
1: their body interesting
2: yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: So then does that get into any type of like gene expression there and from, uh, from like that gets transferred over to the, to from mother to baby in terms of like a, just overall environment that the baby's in while in, um in the pregnancy there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so, in, and we really, and even in studies where they've controlled for like the mother say had, you know, some genes that made it harder for her to keep to a normal weight and therefore maybe that's why the baby would grow up to be obese even when they've taken care of and like kind of taken all those factors out of, out of the way, what they see is that when a woman is overweight or obese in her pregnancy, that her placenta changes um, Mm -hmm. the way that it's feeding the baby is changing. um, That um, that's causing the baby to have um, what we call epigenetic changes, which isn't in the genetic code. It's more like how the genetic code gets expressed in their body. And that causes the chance, the, basically the situation where the baby's body is more likely to grow into this um, kind of utilizing food differently than it would have if it had kind of come of age um, to the point of birth in the body of a person who was normal weight. So, um, so all that to say, yeah. there are big, big, you know, big implications of coming into pregnancy obese. But even if someone, you know, 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. Right. So you know, yeah. so we don't always like choose, you know. But even <laughs> in someone who's, <laughs> who's BMI is a little higher, I think you know the takeaway from all this is that you can make a difference in your pregnancy with the way that you eat and the way that you exercise. Getting 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. There's some great programs right now that are available that didn't used to be with like sh- prenatal exercise programs. I'll shout out to one. It's called O oh Baby Fitness, which is available in the Atlanta area. Um, that where people can kind of do it together, they can get on programs that are going to be okay for them. Um, Gaining a normal amount of weight in the pregnancy. So kind of wherever you started, there's guidelines for how much you should gain. And then eating a healthy diet. You know, I think most of us know that like eating a lot of carbs, not good, you know, making sure you get enough protein, making sure you get, you know, enough uh, lean meats, fruits, vegetables, you know, those kinds of things that's going to make a huge difference.
1: For sure. Uh now, what about on the exercise side? I know I get asked this question actually a lot by my patients um, in terms of um what is safe to continue doing with exercise throughout pregnancy? I know you've mentioned a couple of good resources um and we'll definitely link those in the show notes, but um, is there like a general guideline in terms of like which trimester you can be? I know like um, if you've been exercising, you're probably pretty safe to continue that exercising that, that, that intense level of exercise to a certain degree. But, um, what, what are some of the recommendations you make?
2: Yeah. So I think a lot of people get confused about this because there used to be a lot of misinformation out there, like where people were being told not to exercise. It could be dangerous for their baby or yeah. dangerous for the pregnancy. So I think a lot of women are, you know, concerned and confused for good reason. Um, The guidelines for kind of all, you know, midwives, OBGYNs, everybody changed. Uh, We actually got official guidelines um, out a um, a few years ago, which recommend this 150 minutes of moderate intensity. So what that looks like is if you can sing while you're doing the exercise, it's not moderate. You need to be able, you can maybe talk like short little sentences, but you couldn't sing through it. So that's the level we're talking about is, you know, you're, you're jogging or you're on elliptical, you know, you're moving it. Mm-hmm. um you can exercise any trimester of pregnancy i typically will tell women not to do the types of exercises that involve a possibility of them falling or mm-hmm. hitting their belly so like i had a woman once who used to race horses i, I took her off the horse <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that makes can't sense can't
2: <laughs> ride race horses yeah, yeah. Um, you know like you can kickbox but not with a person you know yeah.
1: <laughs> okay some that can't hit back <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Gosh, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. So uh, and it, you said it doesn't matter which trimester you're in, huh?
2: No. A lot of women feel kind of crappy the first trimester because, you know, nausea and stuff like that. But actually, there's good evidence that when you exercise, kind of force yourself to exercise, that it – it decreases the nausea and it makes it so that you don't have as many kind of emotional, like sad feelings from feeling kind of nauseous. So yeah, all, even in the first trimester, it's good to to do
1: it. That's awesome. And then is there any like, um, like, do you need to be exercising before you get pregnant for it to be safe for you to continue to exercise throughout the pregnancy? Or does it not matter with that as much?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so if you, yeah, if you're already exercising, then just go straight into pregnancy with the 30 minutes a day. In fact, if you're exercising more than 30 minutes a day, it's okay to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not exercising at all, if you're truly sedentary couch potato and you want to pick it up, then the recommendations are that you start with 15 minutes a day, mm-hmm. moderate intensity and five days a week, you can take two days a week off um, and, and kind of build yourself up to that 30 minutes a day. Gotcha. Um, if you've got a lot of like really heavy duty medical complications, um, that are already meaning that, you know, you know, you're high risk anyway, um, then that would be something for you to go ahead and get that preconception visit or that first, um, prenatal visits, talk to your you know provider and about exercise and, and get their kind of one-on-one suggestions for you particularly. But that, that's just for the super high risk folks.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, um. With the with the exercise, does that help with the delivery process as well in terms of the, can that expedite the, the, um, the labor and delivery process?
2: Absolutely. I think it, it can do it in multiple ways. I mean, like we've talked about before, like there's, you know, there's a piece of like when women gain a lot of extra weight, when they are heavier, when they come to labor, that they're more likely to have slow labor. They're more likely to have C-section. Of course, exercise can make a difference with that. They can make it so that people aren't gaining as much weight. Um, so it helps in that way um, I think it helps in terms of anyone who's been through labor will tell you it's, it's kind of like a marathon race it's not it's even if you are going to get an epidural uh, you know it, it still is a lot of work and yeah. um, you know just the pushing part alone it's a lot of work and if you come into that experience completely like deconditioned it makes it really hard to to push for the two or three hours sometimes that it takes <laughs> for a baby to be born vaginally. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other thing I see is that, you know, just in terms of like getting like your game mind on um, nah. when I've taken care of people who like, for example, I took care of a woman once who was a soccer player in high school and college. And um, I, we were talking about, you know, her contractions, she was in early labor and I'm like, you know, you just kind of have to, be really like you know in the moment with it and like really getting through the contraction and then you can rest, you know, between contractions. And she said, Oh, I got this. Yes. And I said, Really? I mean, what wh- you know you've never it was her first baby? I'm like, You've never done this before. Like, you seem so confident. And she was like, Oh, it's just like when we used to do like sprints, you know, on the team, we'd sprint really hard for a minute and then you rest for a minute. And she said, Yeah, I got this. And she was right, like she nice. totally, she totally had it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I never yeah. equate, I guess, sprint work to helping with labor and delivery, but if you're going to look at it from like a metabolic system that's being used, I guess it would probably be pretty, pretty similar there in terms of um, working like more like a glycolytic energy system because it's, it's it waves that come on really quick, but then you get a, a brief period to kind of like, I guess, rest. I guess that's what you can call it. But <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, um, before that next contraction kind of comes on. Um, now, something I found really interesting recently. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but um, I read that the, uh, like a um, epidural can actually um, change your contractions and make them, uh, um, or not, sorry, not epidurals, but like the Pitocin that, that, that women are given to kind of help with the, the um, delivery process or the labor process can actually change the contraction. Instead of making it more like wave-like, it's just one big muscle contraction. Um, is that true or is there any validity behind that? Because this is, this, I could have totally read a bad source with that.
2: um it kind of depends what we're learning more and more about the medications that are used in labor to try to speed labor up and pitocin what you bring up is is the number one medicine that we use um it's been in use for a long time but we're just now starting to see research coming out about how it really works with women's bodies and what we're learning is that when women are um, kind of like not doing very much on their own, say she, you know, having to do what we call a labor induction, which is where we start the whole process kind of from scratch. Mm-hmm. In those kinds of cases, starting Pitocin, sometimes I've, you know, doesn't have any effect or hardly has any effect at all. People don't even really notice contractions. Interesting. Uh, whereas if a woman's really prepared, her body is prepared, like her cervix is already starting to open. She's already started to have contractions on her own. Um, In those cases, sometimes if we start Pitocin and we're we're using a higher dose of Pitocin, it can make it so that that already kind of primed system really kind of overreacts to it. And we get lots of contractions where they're almost not going away. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially if like the people that are monitoring kind of the dosage of that Pitocin aren't really watching um, for when it needs to be turned down because it's 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 given on a very precise um kind of like with an i v um titration pump Oh,
1: gotcha. so um, yeah, I got a schedule so it's on
2: it's ki- exactly yeah so it's kind of one of those things where it it's 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 again it's a tool mm-hmm. it's a tool that needs to be used kind of like very um gingerly very carefully, and unfortunately sometimes it gets used like a like a gigantic hammer you know <laughs> <on> sometimes <Yeah. laughs>
1: yeah all you have is a hammer everything looks like a nail kind of deal Uh, exactly (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome so then what about with was have you noticed in your research or through your clinical practice that um women who have been able to maintain some form of consistency with a workout regimen either um or before pregnancy during pregnancy is there a quicker like postpartum recovery associated with that
2: yeah for sure i think um you know i mean there's a lot of things as everyone knows it's ever been pregnant I mean, you can plan for everything and then you never kind of really in the end, you don't exactly know how things are going to go, oh, but, for sure. um, but, uh, I guess parenting is kind of similar <laughs> actually. <laughs> uh, but in terms of like recovering from birth, um, certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, just think about if, you know, I, I, I go back to the marathon, you know, like if someone told you today and you were couch potato, that you had to run a marathon, um, and you had, you know, no, no, you know, no head preparation, you know, no body preparation. I mean, you're going to feel pretty, if you can even make it through the end, you're not going to feel great the next day or the day after that, or probably even two weeks after that, you're still going to be feeling bad. Um, it's the same thing with labor, you know, women show up and they get through it, uh, hopefully, you know, with a vaginal birth. Mm-hmm. And if, but if they're in, you know, not great shape, um, they can be you know, super sore, exhausted, you know, and unfortunately, you know, in the case of something like labor, as much as we celebrate, you know, it's over, it's actually just started because then it's breastfeeding and it's, you know, trying to bond with this little baby. And when yeah. people are just exhausted, you know, exhausted, that makes it hard to do those really important things.
1: That's awesome. So then with the, um, so then with the postpartum, I know that I think the information is actually getting a lot better out there because I think before there's a lot of um, societal pressure to get back to your quote unquote pre-baby weight um, or pre-baby body um, for women to do. And, and, and thankfully, like we work with, we work with a lot of different athletes at, at our clinic here and, and predominantly we work with a lot of people in the CrossFit community. And I've really kind of seen a shift, especially recently over the past few years from um, like having this rush to get back to, to an optimal performance and, and quote unquote, like optimal body, um, to really kind of listening to your body and kind of letting it heal the way it needs to and getting the right guidance. I think that, you know, there's a lot of really awesome resources out there from, um, uh, women's health specialists from whether it's a PT world or some other healthcare profession. But, um, I, I love that that is getting, brought to the surface a little bit more in terms of, no, everybody is, is different and it's going to recover differently. Just like everybody's would recover differently from that marathon example that you give, which I love by the way. And um, yeah. Is there any good resources? I guess you, you gave the um, Oh baby fitness resources. Is there any resources that you know, or, or um, good, good directions you could point someone who maybe has just had a baby and they're, and they're looking for um, optimal routes to get back into fitness.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Actually, the O oh Baby folks, and um, they do postpartum classes as well. So um, so that is another place people can go. And there are other folks in the Atlanta area that do that. But I yeah. mean, what the kind of guidance we give people is that it takes as long for your body to kind of get through um, the postpartum recovery as it took for you to get to the point of birth. So it takes 10 months to get you to, to the point of birth. It's going to take at least 10 months for you to get back out of that, you know. And so yeah. There's a lot of change in the hormones with the breastfeeding and stuff like that, which makes it so that the muscles, the ligaments, everything changes, and pushing during that period um, in a way that's very rigid can be, um, can be a real um, you know, place where injuries occur. Um, so I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's great that there's more resources out there. In terms of uh, res- other resources for folks, um, one of my favorite pregnancy resources is kellymom.com. Okay. which is a weird name, but um, yeah. <laughs> they, everything from breastfeeding problems to exercise, um, um, they've got great information and um, it's a nice little like quick resource page for folks.
1: Okay, cool. So Mm hmm. Awesome. And we'll, we'll link that in the show notes as well. So, Oh, baby fitness, Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for all this information. It's been super insightful and, and really helpful. I think our audience is going to um, take a lot away from this. Um, is there any way, or, um, is there a website that, um, a website, email, whatever that somebody could con- get in contact with you or maybe a best way to kind of look up the Atlanta birth center, or do you have just any resources people could, um, make a connection there for you?
2: Yeah. If you Google the Atlanta birth center, you'll find them. They're like the first thing that pops up. So feel free. Folks are interested in knowing more about the birth center. Um, they have a meet the midwives where you can kind of come and, um, ask questions right now during COVID. We're not doing, um, the in-person meetings, but Mm -hmm. you can still find out more from the website and call and talk to folks. If you want to find out more, um, in terms of finding out more about me and my research, um, um, my, uh, if you go at Emory University, Nicole Carlson, Google, you can find my uh, faculty page and it's got more information on there about the research that I do and um, my email contact stuff's on there as well.
1: Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and
0: uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Athlete's Potential and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free in life, head over to athletespotential.com to learn more.